Tudor History and Travel Show is a podcast that brings Tudor history to life by exploring Tudor places and artefacts in the flesh. You will be travelling through time with Sarah Morris, the Tudor Travel Guide, uncovering the stories behind some of the most amazing Tudor locations and objects in the UK. Because when you visit a Tudor building, it is only time and not space which separates you from the past. And now over to your host, Sarah Morris. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. So it's lovely to have you here. And today, my friends, we are going to be exploring one of my favourite Tudor locations, which if you followed me on the Tudor Travel Guide, you know I have a particular soft spot and that is Sudley Castle in Gloucestershire. Now it really is a very popular destination on any Tudor time traveller's itinerary and for very good reason. Not only is it associated directly with uh, one of Henry VIII's queen consorts, of course Catherine Parr, but it is romantically and tragically associated with her demise. And Catherine remains the only English queen buried on private land. So it's a very special place to go from the point of view of being able to literally touch history. But not only that, Sudley Castle is in the gloriously lush county of Gloucestershire uh, and it's beautiful honey-coloured stone and it's very romantic ruins which the roses tumble over in summer. It's just glorious to behold and it really does make for a very beautiful half day or day out. So I was delighted at the back end of last summer when we had a window in our Covid restrictions to escape to this beautiful place and meet up with Sudley Castle's archivist Derek Maddock who was able to show us round the ruins, the gardens, the chapel and the museum which houses some personal artefacts associated with Catherine and help us to unpack the history of Sudley and the time that Catherine Parr and Thomas Seymour spent there before Catherine's unfortunate death in 1548. Well, let's go over to the interview now and catch up with Derek and dive deep into the history of Sudley and its famous inhabitants. So welcome to Sudley Castle and I'm here in the very beautiful Victorian chapel with Derek. So hello Derek, welcome to the Tudor Travel Show. Hello, hello, good to, good to be with you. Well, perhaps before we dive into the incredible and sometimes shocking story of Catherine Parr's life and afterlife here at Sudley, you could introduce yourself and tell well, us a little bit about yourself. I'm Derek. I, uh, right, before, in normal times, I'm the archivist here. At the moment, I'm a volunteer guide, but uh, usually they sort of pull me out when they want to talk about things historical. So well, that's my role in this place. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. And... Um, yeah, we're, as I say, we are here in the chapel and um, I'm standing right next to the very beautiful Victorian tomb of Catherine Parr. Am I 
right in saying that she is the only English queen to be buried on private land? She is, yeah, it remains that, that situation. And it's you know, also the first queen to be buried under Protestant rites as well. So we've got a double whammy there. Well, indeed, and I think I'd love to hear more about that burial service shortly. But as I said, you know, Catherine obviously came to Sudley. Um, it was towards the end of her life, unfortunately. This was the last place that she lived, and she died here. Um, but maybe you could um, tell us a little bit about, first of all, um, the tomb that I'm standing in front of, and then maybe we could retrace some of the story of how she came to be lying here. Certainly, certainly. Well, so the tomb is late Victorian, well, sort of 1860s Victorian, um, Sudley itself had been destroyed in the Civil War, no roof, the whole building was slighted, even the church. And they were going to leave, the, the, when the Dent brothers bought the, the house in 1837, uh, they decided to leave the, the church. And when their nephew and his wife took over, Emma Dent, they decided it's going to be the romantic ruin and even got John Ruskin on their side. <laughs> um, the whole building covered in ivy, wonderful sort of building, but um, they were persuaded eventually to rebuild. And then when they did go down the rebuilding route, they went the, the best possible uh, lines, to quote Kenny Everett. Uh, they went for the architects who, the best architects, Gilbert Scott. They went for the builders of the House of Parliament in terms of the woodwork. They went for the stonemasons. They went for the best possible workers, the best possible materials. And the Victorian Gothic tomb here, lovely sort of block of alabaster, which they took three years to find for Mealy Cathedral mm -hmm. before they, they carved this wonderful tomb. Usually I'm not very keen on Victorian Gothic, but this I think is a wonderful restrained piece and beautiful. It's so elegant, I couldn't agree with you more. We have Catherine carved in repose with her hands in prayer and watched over by angels and it's an incredibly beautiful and peaceful place. But maybe, therefore, you could tell us the story of how she actually came to be lying here. So we've come out of the chapel now and we are heading back towards what would have been the main house and the privy lodgings during the time that Catherine and Thomas were in residence. So we're just going to go over there now, right, Derek? And right, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about the story of Catherine's arrival here at Sydney. And there's, there's you know, a fair amount that we could tell. So Derek, you've brought me into what I believe was the inner courtyard at Sudley in the 16th century and we're standing looking at, you know, the most beautiful and romantic and gorgeous ruins of, I believe, the Privy Lodging. So 
It's a beautiful building, isn't it? Or a beautiful remain, shall we say. Yeah. It's the and sight of people hanging off this in sort of September, October, wearing their climbing harness, making sure it repaired. It's quite a surreal thing, but it is, adds to the beauty in many ways, oh, I find. It's one of the most, I think, gorgeous fragments of buildings because of the, these huge windows that you see. It, it allows the imagination to really recreate, I think, yeah, the interiors the, as they might have the looked. The height of those windows as well, the, the light that would be streaming in. It's a beautiful sort of uh, structure, big fireplaces. It's, it's, it's superb, isn't it? And, and it, the private quarters of Catherine and Thomas would have been in this sort of section. So can you, let's tell, tell me then about their arrival because, you know, the, um, Obviously, there'd been a bit of a scandalous marriage when the two of them had got together, and um, Thomas Seymour's brother Edwards wasn't, and the council, the Privy Council, weren't that happy about it. But nevertheless, married, they got married, and Catherine found out she was pregnant, and they came here to Sudley. Maybe you could pick up the story. Yes, yeah, so, well, they sort of they married with almost indecent haste. She had to make sure she wasn't pregnant via Henry, mm. and then almost straight away after that was was married. Um, so we've got. Seymour and her living initially in Chelsea and again Thomas Seymour desperate for power so he's as we mentioned got ward of court of Lady Jane Grey who he planned to marry off to Edward VI we've got Catherine who has Elizabeth as her ward of court and there's various sort of shenanigans in uh, involving Elizabeth and mm. Thomas Seymour creeping into her bed early in the morning so she takes to getting dressed very early to avoid him there's a, a detailed account of a play fight with him slashing at her dress while Catherine holds um, Elizabeth and they're they're full of laughter apart from Elizabeth by the sound of things and We've got that account written by Kat Ashby, um, who is Elizabeth's governess. So we've got you know, fairly detailed accounts of that. So Chelsea and Elizabeth, not a sort of good place in many ways. Mm. They then move across to here and they're setting this up as the alternative, the, the Camelot almost, and trying to make this the, the, the centre of this alternative court away from Edward Seymour in London. And, um, you know, Catherine and... Um, Thomas here with religious reformers and so on, they're carrying on their religious beliefs. Well, certainly Catherine is, whether Thomas was actually convinced of any religion or mm. whether he was just uh, <laughs> out for what he could get a chance, we don't know. So they came here and she, at the age of 36, is pregnant. Now that is quite late for that sort of time mm, period. Very. And, um, but a beautiful place to come out and see, uh, see out her pregnancy because yes. for those people who haven't been to Sudley, it's in the heart of the Gloucestershire countryside and we're, we're kind of nestled in a little valley here and it's, it's peaceful and idyllic even today. So in the 16th century, uh, absolutely. And far less risk of any diseases or anything like that, which of course they would be escaping from the, the, the sweating sicknesses and so on in London. So you're coming to here and it is a beautiful place. Um, was it too detached for Thomas Seymour to keep his connection with power? Possibly, but... Uh... So as I say, we're standing in front of the, the Privy Range, what would or what remains of it. Um, so can you tell us, you know, what we know maybe about... Because these were the lodgings that Catherine and, I guess, Thomas would have stayed in, yes. right, when they were well, here? Who was it built by? Difficult to know. It's possibly Richard III, because he was one of the owners of Sudley in its, in its illustrious past. Um, as a side there, the only 
direct connection I've got of that is I've got a bill for 3,000 quid's worth of wine, so I must have had a good party here at some <laughs> point. Um, how much of this was altered by Thomas Seymour, we don't know. We certainly know he brought Sharrington in from Laycock and window decoration in Laycock, window decoration here is very, very similar. So it, the building wasn't massively changed, but it was altered a little by Thomas Seymour. And she uh, comes across, they don't spend a, hu a huge length of time in comparison to what you'd imagine here, but she has the last part of her pregnancy here mm. and gives birth to little baby Mary at the end of August. And where do we think, because, um, I mean, uh, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of speculation in this, but w what remains of the buildings, uh, I understand, is uh, certainly you can see on the first floor what remains of the presence chamber. Mm. Um, and, and from my reading from my, one of my favourite architectural historians, Anthony Emery, there was a tower block yes. uh, that mirrors the current standing tower block on the other side of the courtyard. And, yeah, yeah. It seems to me that was probably where the most privy chambers were. Certainly the private, the, the very private area, which is where you'd expect her and Thomas to have their yes. sort of family yes. living. Uh, the um, Victorians decided that, uh, that there's a wonderful oriel window at Sudion, almost overlooking the chapel. And that's where the Victorians decided her nursery was. And they sort of, they did Victorian Gothicise this a touch, <laughs> a little bit over the top. Which in, the Victorians were just well the, the known to do. The timber roof of that. And you're just looking at things there and you think, no. Yeah. But it, this was very romanticised. And according to the legend built up by the Victorians, that's where Catherine Parr's nursery was. That's where baby Mary was and so on. Um, yes, it is a little bit private and it would give the religious aspect that mm. Catherine was connected with so yeah, you can see why the Victorians went with that but uh, but actually in effect it's most likely that she died in this in these most privy rooms which were in the now lost yes. chamber block which were, were just standing meters away from now. And we know that she was seared as um, wrapped in the in the sear cloth and put in the lead casket and then remained within this building ah before the actual transference to chapel for the service. Was she, was she, did she lie in state in her presence chamber? Do we know that? It, according to the description of, I think it's the title is the most notable book of burials, uh -huh. um, there is an account of the, almost straight after her death. She, according to the, the, the story within this, um, she, between one and two o'clock in the morning, she died having dictated her will to Parkhurst and Robert Hook, I think his name was, and dictated her will, died very soon after that and was seared and encased very quickly after that. Um, it would have been midsummer, so I suppose there's the fear aspect. That was, and that yes, was, it was pretty usual. Yeah, yeah so would... and then stayed, not laying in state, but laying yes. in, in her lead casket while preparations were made. Yes, okay. And so, of course, after that, she would have been taken down and taken across the chapel. And uh, maybe we should go over there now and pick up the story of what was, as you mentioned at the top of this recording, the first Protestant burial of mm. an English queen. And so, yeah. Yes, let's we have go. a good amount of description, so... So, let's go over. OK. So, 
so after Catherine's death, she was brought here to the chapel and, and you mentioned that it was the first Protestant service in England. So maybe you can tell us what do we know about that day? Well, to a degree, the sort of, this had been set up almost like a Camelot uh, by Thomas Seymour, this was the whole Sudley, as a rival almost to <clears throat> Edward Seymour, his brother, and his control over Edward VI. So Protestantism was very important to Catherine Parr and Miles Coverdale was to lead the service. Uh, John P uh, Parkhurst, local vicar, was also involved in the service. So it was very much a, a sort of the idea of a Protestant service to the, uh, the last queen of Henry VIII. She died in the nursery area, well, what, about 50 metres away from here, and according to the description, <clears throat> was seared you know, wrapped in sear cloth mm. and then put into a lead casket and then awaited for the arrangements of the funeral. We have a description from um, an unusual place. The College of Heralds have a, an account of the actual burial. Um, anonymous, but possibly the way it's written would suggest it's either her clerk of um, the, the chamber. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not completely... We don't know exactly who wrote it, but it, it, it is well de described, and it's very much sort of item one, item two, item three, and so, and so on. It's, it's quite a dispassionate hand. Uh, we know that the building was uh, draped in black. There was rails brought in, as they term them, to put um, mourners on, to put the coffin on, mm. and significantly for the Protestantism aspect, they had uh, no altar cloth, they had no special uh, sort of decorations or anything like that. They kept it relatively simple and somber as with the Protestant rites. Um, they had a collection and they stressed in the collection this was for the benefit of the poor. Mm. They had uh, no candles other than two or tapers as they called them on the, the actual coffin. The only decoration was Henry's shield with Catherine's um, superimposed and Thomas Seymour's shield with her details superimposed. Um, so very somber, very dark. There's a description of who was at the service. Um, it was led by Lady Jane Grey because Thomas Seymour by now had disappeared to London. Yes, and of course Lady Jane Grey was Thomas Seymour's ward. She so was. she had been living here with yeah, the, the, he, he had, what, anything for power was dear Thomas Seymour. <laughs> and his plan had been to marry Lady Jane Grey after the young Edward VI, hence the sort of the wardship and her father had been persuaded that this was the right way to go. Mm. So Lady Jane Grey led the actual service of the mourners. Miles Coverdale did the uh, actual preaching, her personal almoner. Mm. So a very sort of you know, sombre occasion and very Protestant. They, they've stressed throughout that it was a Protestant. Yes. Yeah, Protestant yeah. service. And after the service, um, so I guess, I mean, obviously the chapel is recreated, as you say, it's, it's a Victorian recreation, but on the site of the original on chapel. On the site of the original, yes. So we're standing just in front of the high altar, so I imagine that Catherine's coffin would have been directly in front of us, right in front of the high altar. Is believe right? so, yes, yes. Yeah, wow. So, and I mean, on, on a sort of platform, not decorated with sort of, um, you know, altar cloths or anything like that kept simple kept just very plain and very simple plain, yeah. and when you said uh, was it the coffin that was decorated with the arms of henry and there Catherine? was 
there or was, was it a, the cloth that a, was a shield there was a, a black sh uh, cloth over it and there was a shield with Henry's arms with her lodging lozenge down the center right. and similarly there one of Thomas Seymour that was the only decoration on the actual coffin so a black cloth two tapers and uh, the shields. Right, okay. And then what do we know of what happens to that coffin afterwards? Where exactly was she buried? It, it, indeed, she, was she originally buried where the tomb is today? The significance of, uh, places of significance are either to the right or to the left of the altar. And to the left of the altar was where Catherine Parr was chosen to be buried. And there was, by all accounts, a fine alabaster tomb with a memorial to Catherine it, written by John Parkhurst, this local vicar who had been uh, put in place by Thomas Seymour. So we know she was there, she was wrapped in sear cloth, in a lead coffin, alabaster tomb over the top and then a plaque saying here lieth the Queen. Right, but, we don't, that but of course there's no etching, there's no there's, detailed description of what that actually We do have like. the central section of alabaster tomb that was discovered when the, oh, when it was re-excavated so it's about a three-foot block of of alabaster but uh, it's not something we're going to pick up and show you because it is damned heavy i can imagine <laughs> it is before we go any further if you enjoy these podcasts did you know that you can support my work by becoming a patron of the show for as little as one dollar a month a link to find out more about this programme and the different levels of sponsorship available is included in the description associated with this podcast. And while I can't thank you in person, here's a big mwah to say a massive thank you from me. So now it's back to the show.
So now we are going to return to my interview with Derek at Sudley Castle and we're going to hear a little bit about Catherine's afterlife for surely what happened to her body after death is one of the most shocking events in Tudor history or in royal history at least. So I mentioned that, um, you know, it was the afterlife of Catherine that um, I remember reading the account for the first time and being deeply, deeply shocked at what happened to her. So I'd love you to retell us the tale because obviously Sudley survived it for how long? And, and it was a victim of the Civil War, is that It was that a victim right? of the Civil War. Um, it's once Thomas Seymour and Catherine Parr had died, it was basically transferred back to the monarchs again. So Mary took over when, when she was um, enthroned, then it became Elizabeth's property. And it was looked after or given to the Lord Shandosses. Um, John Bridges had been the governor of the tower and he had been rewarded by being given this, though it kept, it's kept technically as a royal possession. So the Bridges kept it in possession until the Civil War. And in the Civil War, they chose to be on the Royalist side, which is in a parliamentary county, might have been looking back at it a bit of a mistake. Mm, they had indeed. two sieges, which they lost. And then 1645 to 49, uh, they had a parliamentary garrison here. And we've got in the archives lovely descriptions of the names of even the, the labourers, the carpenters who took the building apart. Oh, really? So yeah, we've actually got you know, uh -huh. you know, what actually happened to this. So from 1649, this is, place is uninhabitable. Um, by the 1800s, we've got soil up above my height. I'm two metres tall. Uh, we've got... Uh, a rabbit farm in here, we've got trees growing in it, we've got ivy covering it, there is effectively nothing here and mm. even the Queen has gone. They don't know where she is, the soil is above. The... So, it's been, so it's been completely buried? Completely buried. Two ladies um, employed a digger in the 1780s to actually try and find the, 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 the tomb. And as I said earlier, it's got to be one or two sites of privilege. So they started digging to the left and right of the altar and eventually found a metal plaque, which basically translated to Here Lieth the Queen. Um, luckily, somebody had the sense to make a tracing of it because it, as soon as it was exposed to the air, it starts to deteriorate. Yes. And we have a modern replica up there now. Yes, it's right next to the tomb, isn't yeah. it? Shall yeah. we read it out? Would that, okay. be, would that be a lovely thing to do? Would you like to read it for us? So it says at the top, KP, here lieth the Queen Catherine, wife to King Henry VIII, and last the wife of Thomas, Lord of Sudley, High Admiral of England, and uncle to King Edward VI. Died 5th of September, and 1548. Right, yeah, wow. So, yes, somebody had the presence of mind to do that. Because it would have disintegrated very, very quickly. <laughs> and so, um, so they found the tomb, and then what did they do? Well, there's a, you know, further down was this big chunk of alabaster that I mentioned. Mm. Then they found a lead casket. Didn't stop there. They prized open the lead casket and found the body wrapped in seer cloth, sort of seven layers of this, not quite mummification, but it did keep the air out. It preserved the body. They then cut that open, as you would want to, <laughs> I suppose, and they found the flesh still moist. They could see the hair colour. So the body was still intact. But, of course, once you then cut into it, the air's getting in and it's going to start to disintegrate. And unfortunately, they didn't keep the, the words to themselves or to a very select number of people. They then started to 
the word spread that Catherine Parr's body was there, and people were coming on souvenir hunts, so more hair was taken. Right. What colour was her hair? What did they Light describe? Blonde. Light, Light blonde. Light yes. So very fashionable for very the fashionable. time. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so the word spread, people started coming, started nicking bits of her. So they then started to think, this is getting out of hand, let's move her to the crypt. There was a tenant in Sudley at that sort of time, a, t a tenant farmer, and he decided to get some men to organise this. Um, for some reason, he decided to feed them well and give them loads and loads of alcohol. They were paralytically drunk. So they came after the meal with spades and things like that, and then decided to well, desecrate the body as perhaps not too strong a word for it. They drove a spade through her neck, they drove an iron bar into her chest, they smashed her teeth to take souvenirs and things oh. like that. And you just think, this is a, awful. Yeah, even if it's an ordinary body, you do not you behave do that. like that towards a body. And, you uh, can't imagine. It, I mean, I know just, they were paralytically drunk, but still, you just can't imagine what must just, have got into their minds. And the, the souvenir collection was sort of organised, and um, they took them all home. The body then did eventually get moved to the crypt for safekeeping, so no further desecration can came place. And to avoid any more elements of risk of somebody breaking into the crypt, they spread the word, there's a curse. There's a curse on oh, anybody that curse. touches... Catherine Parr. We like a good we curse. We like a good curse. So, um, in fact, the, the curse worked so effectively, one of the people who had originally broken in actually killed himself. Um, we think it was an unrelated aspect. And the, the curse idea spread. And then by the time that sort of the grandchildren came around, they were so panic-stricken by what might affect them that they all started returning things to Sudley. So Sudley now has five pieces of her hair and one piece of her tooth. And so thanks to these grandchildren that gave so it... So we're going to be going and having a look at some of those yep. artefacts uh, in a moment. But where is the crypt? Is it directly below? The crypt it? is it's an unusual place. It's behind oh. the actual altar to the right. And actually there's no visible sign of it at all. Oh, really? So it's, it's, there's, there's a big cedar tree behind here, which is having sort of root treatment. Mm. So there's just a mulch effect of you over there and you can't ah, even see the access point to it. I see. I've so never been into it now. So it's lost essentially. Well, it, it's known where it is. Yeah. The last time it was used was when Mark Dent Brocklehurst's um, remains were put into there uh, in what, 1970. So oh, it hasn't okay. been used since so then. Not, okay, right. So, not, so I think it will ago, possibly then. be reused in, in the future. Yeah. But. yeah, okay, good. So. So, wow, that, yes, every time I hear that story, it makes my stomach churn. Yes, it's just you know, the, how you can actually do that sort of thing. And, you know, the pe considering how religious people were in comparison yes. to a more secular society today, and you think, why? How? Amazing, amazing. So, of course, by this time, she's in pieces. So what happens to her body after that? The, well, the body stays in the, the crypt, for mm. quite a time period. Dents, as I mentioned, bought this 1837. and 1863, they decided to rebuild the church and they want a, an appropriate tomb for her. So they build this tomb, they collect the piece of marble from Ely Cathedral, mm. highly decorated piece of work. They've put the... Um, everything is set up. They then take the body out and officially reinter in a proper church service. So Catherine's bones... Um, which I, we assume is all that was left of her mm. by now, are down actually into the, the tomb underneath the effigy of 
of herself. So they're actually, because the effigy does, as you say, sits on top of a sort of rectangular tomb. Yeah. So, th so they are in that as opposed yes. to being yeah. in the ground. So there was an official reinternment. Mm. Mm. And you know, on the outside edge, which is added to the decoration, they've got the four husbands of Catherine Parr. So we've got Edmund Brough, John Latimer. We've got ah. um, Henry's personal shield, mm. Thomas Seymour's shield, and in the centre we've got this royal coat of arms of England, which I think adds to it. It gives you that sort of sense of history. Oh, well, thank you for that, because I'd often wondered who the different um, yeah. uh, sort of uh, the heraldry belonged to, so that makes perfect sense. And it might be appropriate just at this moment just to say that... Um, there is an accompanying blog that will go with this podcast. So if you want to read more, including some of the contemporary accounts that were written of eyewitnesses of the shocking events that Derek has just relayed to us, then I'll be placing a link in the description with this podcast um, so you can uh, find out more and also see some images of the tomb for yourself. So now we've come inside into the exhibition centre to have a look at some of those artefacts that you were talking about, Derek. So I'm in front of a glass cabinet here and we've got some letters and some books. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what we have here. Well, the assumption of, of Catherine Parr is the last wife of Henry VIII, the nursemaid. Far more than that, she was a very accomplished woman, regent of the country. Uh, uh, she was a religious reformer, constantly talking to Henry about that and very skillful about how she managed to, shall we say, manipulate his beliefs. And uh, among the things we have here are three books, one of which is The Lamentations of a Sinner, which she actually wrote. So she's the first queen to be published. We've also got a collection of um, devotional tracts that she assembled from things that appealed to her. And intriguing in that is we've got her signature, Catherine the Queen KP, which she writes on the, the bottom of the facing page. And on the left side, we have um, her informal hand. So we've got a, a complete page of her writing here. 
Um, and then we have this little book of prayers and meditations, which is bound in a lovely sort of red silk by nuns of Little Getting, and that dates from 1546. So we've got three books directly related to her. So books that she would have held in books her hand. Books that she would have she held in her in. hand. I think these are some of the most, every time I come here to Sudley, I always make a beeline for this cabinet <laughs> and just stand and look at those books. They're amazing. We also have some letters written from, by Catherine to Thomas Seymour. So talking about her love, expressing comments about the knave in her belly and how the, the child is growing and sending her love. She was devoted to this man. He was, shall we say, less devoted. He was seeing her as a means to an end where she was totally besotted with him. This was the only thing that he could say against Catherine Parr. She loved this man and he was uh, not a pleasant man. No, and she says she signs off her letter by her that is yours to serve and obey during her life. And then you have this beautiful, flourishing signature of Catherine the Queen KP. I love the way she signs Catherine the Queen KP. KP, just yeah. to reinforce. Just to reinforce it. It's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, KP, Catherine. So we don't want to get mixed up with Catherine of Aragon or Catherine nope. Howard. This no, is Catherine. This is Catherine. <laughs> Catherine the Dowager Queen, yes. That's wonderful. Now, you also, of course, talked about some of these kind of, I suppose you could call them relics that were taken from her Yes, tomb. I suppose we could. So you said you have a few of them here. So let's, we're just walking around the corner. I mean, you've got some wonderful paintings and uh, artefacts here at Sudley. But again, this is, these, are, these are one of my favourites. Because yeah. it's not often, I was trying to think if we actually have, um, apart from Mary Tudor, Henry VIII's sister, I can't think of another Tudor monarch where we've got a little bit of their hair or a little a, a piece no, of their, you know, a tooth, in this case, tooth, which is what we're standing looking at now. Can you, can you tell us what we're, describe what we're looking at and tell us about them? Well, these are some of the relics that we've managed to get returned by the, the, the royal we, that is, sorry, sorry, Sudley managed to get returned <laughs> by the grandchildren of uh, people that stole them in the first case. So we have a piece, this is the back part of her incisor, and we do have a dentist as one of our volunteers, and he guarantees it as a human tooth. Mm -hmm. Great. <laughs> we have uh, two little pieces of hair, very hi highly woven, which was a Victorian sort of trait right alongside that. And then we've got a, a sort of very elaborate sort of brooch with piece, uh, quite a, a big piece of her hair, freeform in terms of the way that is displayed, whereas the other two are much more tightly uh, yes. sort of worked. Yes, that, that is very Victorian, yes, isn't it? Very to take KP, care and make the centre and yes. and so on. But this, the left-hand one, is very much more sort of. There's a piece of her hair, and the ornateness is in the sort of filigree around the edge, and sort of the crown at the top of it. And I've seen three bits of her hair, and they are all the same colour. That yes. golden, you know, really golden, as you yes, were describing yes. before. There so is another piece over near the uh, the the letters section which also is the same sort of colour so it, it does seem very much to be this sort of golden yes and it hasn't been affected by light that we doesn't far appear as to have been no. no so uh, how they managed to not to fade out I must admit I don't know but uh, and then above it in a frame um, there is a tiny fragment of cloth so what what is that believed to be part of the sort of Catherine Parr's dress um, Shall we say perhaps a little bit more dubious? Dubious, but it, it claims to be from the coffin. But the colours are so intense. For me, perhaps 
not quite as as accurate as some of the mm. uh, the other things mm. but you know it could well be they believe it's to be yes. uh, dug out is, from the toes so it so it's part it, of the seer cloth Mm. So that's the, the white taken from the coffin of May the 22nd, 1792. Yes, and there's a little sketch here of the yes. actual um, the body wrapped in the lead coffin with a, the, a flap's been folded back and you can see the seer cloth and the arm, in fact, with the yes. flesh that you described. There's a nice little legend that uh, a piece of uh, ivory berry fell into that and then the next time it was examined, there was a wreath around her head oh, from the another, ivory. Another one of those beautiful tales yes. that we love so much. We've got letters from um, a firm to Walpole detailing the actual excavation of the, in the first case and so on. So, and you're right behind you is the piece of alabaster that came from the, ah, the tomb. That, you know what? I've, I've seen that so many times and I completely missed it. So, it's, as you say, it's so this it, large Effectively, it's tongue. the chest of um, the effigy. Ah, oh, I see. So, this is, I'm running my hand just, well, not on it, but just <laughs> over. Um, yeah, so that, that's the chest. And you can see these kind of folds of fabric. Yeah, folds yeah. of fabric and so on. And so, that was the bit they just, they, they first of all found the metal plaque. Yes dug further down, this was the next section. By all accounts, this was the, everything else had been broken up and mm. this was the... Uh, the only of, bit that was left. It's only bit a, that was left. Sort of, sort of a pinky colour, isn't yes, it? Sort yes, yes. Not, not pure white as the, uh, the two is that due to there, being in the ground for so long? Yeah. Um, with sort of different chemical changes, perhaps, yeah, compared maybe. with its natural state. Yeah, interesting. Good. So, there we go. So. Well, thankfully, you do have these wonderful artefacts here, which just get us a little bit closer to Catherine, particularly those that bit of hair and perhaps a little bit slightly gory, but her tooth. Yes. But um, it does bring us closer to the Queen. So I guess before we finish here, the final thing to ask you, Derek, is if people want to visit Sudley, how can they do so at the moment? Because, you know, COVID is obviously making things a bit crazy. Yes, COVID is slightly hitting, but yes, we, we're open until the 1st of November. So we'd love to see you coming across here. You have to book your tickets in advance, but I'm sure... And that's to manage the numbers, Just to manage to the numbers sure going the through the exhibition, because there are one or two sort of narrow areas within the exhibition. But otherwise, uh, feel free to, to come book your tickets in advance, look at the website, and we're here until the 1st of November, and it is a lovely place to see. Well, it is indeed, and your website is www.sudleycastle.co.uk. Great. Yes. So, so, guys... If you haven't visited Sudley, you must put it right up on your uh, Tudor uh, road trip agenda because it is one of the most historic and beautiful places to visit. And it is also in one of the most gorgeous parts of the countryside. And I'm not biased at all, but I do live in this area. So <laughs> do make sure you come along. And I'm sure if you've been to Sudley before, you'll already be thinking about your next trip. So thank you so much, Derek, for being our host and guide today. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Before we finish the show, remember you can support my work via my Patreon programme, where various levels of sponsorship are available, starting at just $1 a month. Check out all the details of how to become a patron in the link included with this podcast. Oh, and don't forget, you can be part of my closed Facebook group, where fellow time travellers like you hang out with me and each other to share some of our favourite things about visiting the UK. From great Tudor places to visit, to the best way to take your cream tea in an afternoon. From the latest travel news, to the traditional Sunday roast. 
so don't miss out and you can apply to join by clicking on the link in the description. So now it's back to close the show. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that very intimate glimpse into the final few months of the life of one of the most famous characters in Tudor history and certainly inhabitants of Sudley Castle. I do urge you to visit um, if you are coming to the UK and you are going out and about out of London. Gloucestershire is a glorious county and if you're heading westwards towards Gloucestershire then put Sudley Castle on your list. And I, of course, would just like to thank um, the staff at Sudley Castle for making this podcast happen. And of course, for our guide today, Derek Maddock, archivist at the castle. Well, my friends, once again, we have come to the end of a show. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I, of course, will look forward to seeing you on our next adventure in April. for tuning in to today's episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. If you've loved the show, please take a moment to subscribe, like and rate this podcast so that we can spread the Tudor love. Until next time, my friends, all that remains for me to say is happy time travelling. Mm-hmm.